Amen. All right. So, um, lesson 38, you have the power. Romans chapter 6, let's uh, start in verse 11. Romans 6, starting in verse 11. Um, this long section here, verse 11 through 23, I, of course, am not going to cover in detail tonight. But um, we're going to see how far we get. And um, I put it down through verse 15. Uh, hopefully, we'll get that far. But anyway, there's a lot in here. But there's a lot in this section that Paul continues to go over. And as I've said before, he says it over and over. He says it one way and then he says it another way. Then he comes from a different perspective and says the same thing. Um, because obviously this is something that he wants people to understand, but in many aspects they have never heard this kind of instruction before. And there are many of you sitting in this room who are very familiar with the principles that Paul's going to be talking about in this passage. But there are those who will be listening who have not. Um, we're recording for, for a Sunday school class that uh, Jonathan is putting on his uh, VOCA uh, website. And I don't know how many people you got watching that, but I know that there's a number of people, and many of them may have never heard these kind of principles before. Some uh, that you may be uh, giving these lessons to or helping to share. We, we often get caught up with the fact that we are familiar with something when other people just are not. And so going over some of these things and saying these things, it's like, Jeff, I know that. I know you do, but others don't. And so we continue to, uh, to look into these truths. As, as I've shared also, I'm teaching a church in Scotland on Zoom. I'm they're going to be, they've suspended for the summertime. They'll be starting up again um, beginning of September. And I will be catching them up to uh, these same points. But Romans chapter 6, Paul has been talking about the practical aspect of what God's justification has done for us. God reconciled us through Christ. And then through faith, we have been justified, and we have been made one with him. We've been made alive in Adam, and all that section that he went through in, uh, in chapter 5 about in Adam and in Christ, and that table that I gave you. But coming down to chapter 6, he starts off with this sarcastic, almost insulting question that someone throws his way. Now, he's not actually, maybe he's not really heard this, maybe he has. So, shall we just go ahead and sin all we can so that God's grace can abound? Because the more we sin, the more grace God gives. And so let's just sin all we want. And Paul basically says, that's just stupid. It's kind of what he says. God forbid, but in some ways it just means that's the stupidest thing I've heard. So, and then he moves on to talk about that, but he's going to bring that same question back up here in the, just a few verses. So I'm going to read verses 11 through 23 because that's the end of this section. 
But the entire presentation that Paul is making is chapter 6 through chapter 8. And so there's a lot of material in here. And Paul is advancing toward a point, And he just gives us little bits at a time. So in chapter 6, he's talking about what it meant that we were in Christ. That we were, we were dead, we died, now we're dead. Yep. I know, that's just like, what? Okay, can you just go back over that? Uh, no, we already did. But go back and listen to the last two sessions and you'll get a lot of that. We were dead in Adam, then we died in Christ, and now we are dead to the old self. So this is a truth that Paul is trying to explain to them. So let's start in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but instead present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? It's like Paul, he just, he's not going to let this guy go. So whoever is throwing these kind of statements his way, um, Paul summarizes it. Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know? And he answers this in some ways in the same way he did the last time. God forbid, do you not know? In other words, you should know this. You shouldn't be this ignorant. Sorry to be plain and blunt. Paul probably would have been had he been there face to face. He said, are we to sin? God forbid. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And from there, he moves into illustration. Chapter 7 is full of picture illustrations and his own personal wrestlings, but we'll take that up when we get there. All right. Paul has presented this material, but what he's going to do is move from what we call spiritual truth to practical truth. And so in making that connection, he wants us to understand that something is gone, something has died, and now there's a new life. And so he presents that in a number of ways. Now, those who were with us in our last session, you'll remember our Latin lesson, right? Our little, our little Latin lesson, right? Fun with Latin. So, um, but two of the points in that were these points there listed on your front page. Our former status, we talked about Adam first, but then our former status, because we were in Adam, our former status was in Latin, non passe, non peccare. Now, this was, this, actually, this little formula was derived by St. Augustine back in the 300s. So if you think that they didn't have much truth back then, uh, yeah, they did. So, non passe non peccare means, listen, not able not to sin. So notice the two nons in that passage. Not able not to sin. So before you got saved, you were not able not to sin, or we could say to not sin, but that doesn't flow with the Latin words. Not able not to sin. Now, you could control it, and even before you were born again, there are things you didn't do. There are things that you could control. You could control your passions, you could control your actions, you could control your thoughts to some degree, but you couldn't change one thing about the fact that it kept coming back at you. You couldn't change the fact that you never had true victory over it. You could just suppress it, but it was still there. And, not, and there was nothing you could do about your status that you were dead in Adam. You couldn't change that. There's nothing you could do about it. Nothing you could do about the fact that you were bound for death. Because you couldn't live perfectly by the law... Therefore, you were subject to perfect death. So, non passe, non peccare, not able, not to sin. Now, our present status just takes one little word out. So, notice we drop the second non, or the first non, sorry. We are passe, non peccare. We are able not to sin. We were not able not to sin. Now we are able not to sin. And so our present status in Christ is the fact that we are able not to sin. It doesn't say we can't sin. It doesn't say we'll never sin. It just says we are able not to sin. So this responsibility has come with us. The power God has given us, the ability 
comes with our responsibility. We are able not to sin. We're also what? Able to sin, but we're going to teach on that. Okay? Don't have to teach anybody on that. But all of this has to do with this relationship between ability and sin. And this is the, the illustration Paul has been working on. This is the spiritual truth that Paul has been building on. So I put some points down here at the bottom of the bed. Before we were in Christ, through the operation of our faith and God's grace, we did not have the power to not sin. Before we were in Christ, before we believed in Jesus Christ, through the grace that God has given us and our faith, before we believed, we were not able not to sin. Though, as I said, we could control it. But whatever control we had was only temporal. It only lasted for a period of time. And it could not change our eternal status. We were dead in Adam. All right? Point number two, when we believed, that old self died. The old self died. But what do we mean by the old self died? It no longer has life of its own. It's no longer animating us. Is it still there? Yes. But it's not animating us. The old self is still there, as Paul will present over the next two chapters. In Christ's resurrection, we're also given a new life. So we were removed from the power of the old self and given a new life in Christ. Life created to be like him. However, the old self wasn't destroyed. It wasn't obliterated. It wasn't annihilated. We think it was destroyed. The old self is destroyed. And we say the old self is dead. What do we mean by dead? Separated. It's separated from its power to control us. That's what we mean by dead. It's still there, but it doesn't have the power to control. So that is what has changed. As we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, that old self has been rendered useless. Not annihilated, not destroyed, obliterated. It's been rendered useless. And what did we say about that Greek word? Okay, I'll respond for you. It means it used to work, but now it can't work. It's been made to not work. It's there, but it's idle. The Greek word katarga could be used for unemployed. So that old self is unemployed. It's not working. Can it work? Yeah. If you give it power, we'll get there in just a little bit. It's been rendered useless, but it's still there. So now it's still existing, but it has no power. And this is Paul's subject that's going to take us to chapter 8. The question is, who's in control? So, turn to the next page. Consider yourself dead but alive. Now, I know, we've already gone through this dead but alive. But we're going to go again. Because Paul does. So, what does he say in verse 11? So, you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Last phrase, in Christ Jesus. 
Now, I want to take that phrase, in Christ Jesus, and attach it to both of those verbs. You're dead to sin in Christ Jesus, and you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because people who are not believers are not dead to sin. They're just dead. <laughs> they're not dead to sin. They're just dead. They're in Adam. But when we are in Christ, we're dead to the power of the sin nature or the self, the old self. We're dead to its power. And that is what Paul wants to talk about in this. So we're going to kind of start, uh, skip the first word consider because we'll come back to that at the end of this little page. All right, so here's a couple things that when you read Paul, you begin to pick up. Now, it's also in Peter and it's in John, but it's more in Paul than in the other writers of the New Testament. It's what we call spiritual truth versus practical truth. All right, or sometimes it's called positional truth, spiritual or positional truth, and practical or temporal truth. Temporal, not meaning that it's only for a time. It means it's, it's there, it's real, it's tangible. So there is spiritual truth, which is position, something that God has done for us, and there is practical truth or temporal truth. What's the difference? Spiritual truth is presents a reality that is not physically observable. I cannot observe that you have been born again. I can't observe that. I can't observe the fact that you're a new creation in Christ. That's, science can't test that. It's not scientifically discoverable. I can't, uh, I can't study the fact or observe the fact that you died with Christ. I can't observe that. I can't observe the fact that you have now eternal life in you. I can't observe that. I can observe the what? The fruit. Fruit. I can observe the effects of that. I can observe the results of that in a person's life, but I can't observe the fact. Are you seeing that? That's, that's what we're talking about, spiritual truth or positional truth. Position, you're in Christ. Position, you're eternally alive. Position, you're dead to sin. That's a positional truth. The practical truth is the other side of that. Now, the thing is that spiritual truth often then results in practical truth. So there is a practical side. Now, in a lot of the commentaries I read, they call, they call what we call spiritual truth or positional truth, they call it mystical. I'm not crazy about that word. But it's not mystical. It's only mystical in the sense that they're using a word which means you can't observe it or measure it. It's not measurable. But it's, it's true. It's true. And so I know that I'm in Christ, and you know that you're in Christ, but the only way I know you're in Christ is because you testify, you say so, or I can see fruit, results of that in your life. Okay, so spiritual truth then can affect the physical realm, and it issues from that. 
Notice it doesn't flow the other way. Physical truth does not control spiritual truth. Physical truth just is. Physical truth is you were born on a certain day. That has no effect on your spiritual being. What has effect on your spiritual being is what you did at whatever age you believed in Jesus Christ. When you were made alive in Christ. And now things have changed. Physically, maybe you got water baptized. There's a physical thing. Did the water baptism make you alive in Christ? No. But being alive in Christ led you to water baptism. So there are principles by the way that this works. So practical truth is also called temporal because they occur in the natural or physical realm where they can be measured, they can be observed, they can be seen, they can be heard. They're actualized, as one commentary put it. They're subject to the things of the spiritual realm. So temporal things are subject to the things of the spiritual realm. So that whatever is here is subject to a spiritual power that is greater. So we speak words and things happen. God spoke words, things happen. We use the name of Jesus. There's a spiritual truth there, but it's the speaking of the word that follows. And the name of Jesus has power, spiritual truth. But it has power when it is spoken, when it is delivered. So these two things work together. But Paul wants these people to understand, first of all, the spiritual truth. So that's what he's been talking about through chapter 5 and now into chapter 6, all the way down through verse 11. He's been talking about spiritual truth, positional truth. Now he's going to turn that over to talk about practical truth. So justification, all right? Us being justified is a spiritual truth, but it can't be measured, can't be observed. It has to be what? Believed, all right? Sanctification is a spiritual truth that also results in physical or practical things. We pull ourselves away, the word Sanctified means isolated from, drawn away from, um, separated from. And so to be sanctified. And so he's going to move from talking about justification into what he's going to call sanctification. So the first thing that it says in this passage, spiritual truth, you're dead to sin. You're not just dead. You're dead to sin. Because I'm glad it's not just dead. Because if it's just dead, we wouldn't help us at all. But we're dead. But what kind of death is indicated? What, what is this death that he's talking about, dead to sin? He's talking about the old self, the old nature. Yeah, we've talked about this. Because the nature of Adam was dead by separation from life. 
it was there, but it was separated. All right, so death is separation, not cessation. So when the Bible talks about death, it's talking about separation. Now, physical death is separation from physical life. But something continues. You're either in one place or another. You're a place of peace, you're a place of torment, one or the other. And so, in a sense, the life goes on. It's just separated. So, the nature of Adam was dead, that old self that was in you was dead from the life, from the power of God. And because it was separated from its power, it had ability to dominate through sin. Because it was no longer connected, if I can use that phrase, thinking of like electrical type things, but it was no longer connected to the power of God. So there was nothing in Adam after the fall, nothing inside of him that could give him power over sin. So temptation came and he could resist it for a time. Obviously Cain resisted for a time, but obviously ultimately it did not. And so people became more and more wicked because they were more and more disconnected from their ability to control their life. And so in the Old Testament, so what did God do? He gave them the laws. Did the law change anyone? No, no. no the law can't change you. It can tell you you're wrong, and you can hold yourself to it, but it doesn't change you. It's, it's like, you know, washing, washing yourself does not change who you are on the inside. It doesn't get rid of the anger and the bitterness and all those other things, you know. Um, okay, maybe eating ice cream, you know, when you're... Angry at someone might help that. I don't know. Me, me, it'll just put me to sleep, and then I forget that I'm angry at somebody. But anyway. But things, the the law law could only change the outside. It could, in a sense, it could wash you, but didn't change you. Because you were going to go out and do it again. I I used this illustration once before one time. You can wash a pig. But it's still a pig. You didn't change its pig nature. I didn't say you had a pig nature. I'm just using an <laughs> illustration. Okay. But so you were dead to sin. But that death just indicated a separation from ability, from power. Your old self was not able to have power because it wasn't connected to God. It was separated. So it ruled. Some people, it ruled uncontrollably. Other people <coughs> held themselves, but they couldn't change who they were, couldn't change the inward person. They were still what? Dead in Adam. No matter what they did, they were still dead in Adam. And so the ability was, was there. Now, in Christ, you are dead to sin. All right? You are now dead to sin. Before you were dead in sin, now you're dead to sin. And so, now, 
this old self is dead, meaning now it's separated from something else. Before it was separated from the power of God, now this old self is separated from its ability to control you. It's no longer in power. And that's what it means that you are dead to sin. It's no longer in power. It's been separated so that that old self is there, but it's no longer sitting on the throne. If I can use that imagery, because we're going to here in a little bit. It's not on the throne. It's not in control. It's not ruling you. I know, Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did it. Love Flip Wilson. Okay, anyway. So, this ability to not sin is there. Sin no longer has the ability to dominate. I've been made, what? Alive to God. And so now I've been connected. The connection to Adam is gone. Dead to that. Now I'm connected to God. And so Paul is now again making spiritual truth that we need to bring into a natural reality. Because in Christ, we were raised to life. So we died in Christ, and when he rose from the dead, what happened? We rose with him, right? You were raised to walk in a newness of life. Just as he was raised to life, to the glory of God, we've been raised to walk in a newness of life. And so God has given us this new life. And we now have freedom over sin. Before we didn't, now we do. Before the old self had the power, now I have the power. And I am alive to God. But what's the last phrase? in Christ. Only as being in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're not dead to sin, you're dead in sin. And you're not alive to God, you're dead to God, separated from God. So the new birth changed all of that. Because I believed, I died with Christ, dead to sin, raised with Christ, alive in Christ. And so those are the positions of what took place and that was all spiritual nothing took place in the physical realm for us it did for him but it didn't for us but Paul is making this reality so this is the spirituality this is our position in Christ so now Paul I'm going to go back to the very beginning of this phrase so you must also consider yourself so here's a word that we need to focus on consider The key to our victorious living, living for Christ, is that we consider ourselves dead to sin. You are, but do you consider it? Are you writing it to your account? Are you making record of it? Consider yourself. So the Greek word for consider, which occurs, uh, I put this down here, 38 times in the New Testament, consider. 38 times in the New Testament, 19 times just in the book of Romans. So half of the time that this word is used, consider, it's used by Paul. We've seen it 
over a dozen times already in the first five chapters. And so this word consider, it has to do with accounting something. It's a Greek word which means to write to an account, to write it down. And so the idea is that something has been made a record. Something has a record. And what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to make a record of something in my mind. I'm supposed to consider myself. I'm supposed to write down in my head on a piece of paper and put it in your Bible if you need to, that you are dead in, dead in Adam, you are dead to sin, and you're alive to God through the new birth. You need to make a record. Consider yourself, write it down, dead to sin. So this whole question that Paul, they're going to throw at Paul so what do we do? Just sin more so that God's grace is exercised? No! You're dead to sin. I don't know that. Well, consider it. Paul gets a little fed up. I do too. To write it down, keep it count. What it means is to write it so that you can reach a conclusion. The purpose of making a ledger is to reach a conclusion. Right? So you keep a ledger so you can make, make a conclusion. Well, that's what we're supposed to do. Make a record. I believed in Jesus Christ. He died for me. He went to the grave. I went to the grave. When he was made alive, I was made alive. When he rose from the dead, I rose from the dead. When he ascended to the Father, I ascended to the Father. Make a record of it. You say, I don't know where that record is. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4 through verse 8. Make a record of it. If you can't remember, write it down. Highlight it. Why? Because that's supposed to have some kind of, of purpose in helping you reach a conclusion. What's your conclusion? I'm dead to sin. All right. Consider yourself. Reach this conclusion. Yeah, it, it, and... Listen, I know we talk to people, they don't understand these things because they've never been told these things or they've never been taught this. They never consider deeply enough. They just read the words and move on. Now I know, reading the word can have a positive effect in your life. But sometimes you need to stop and think about them. Which I'm going to talk about this Sunday, my message. Think about what you're reading. So the idea here is that that we reach a conclusion of who we are. Why? Because it's going to change what we're going to read in verse 15. Because if you don't get this, you'll never understand what he says in verse 15. So, we read on. So he says we, we need to consider. Now, in the Greek language, I know you wanted to know this, but it's a middle voice present tense. So, I know some of you already knew that. But what this means is, Paul says, make this a matter of practice for your own good. Middle voice means you do it for your own good. And present tense means you're, you're doing this, making this a practice. Make this a practice. In other words, don't just do this once. Do it. Think about it. Let this sit in your head. And so that the the truth of this is ever-present so that when the stupid 
old self wants to, hey, look at this. Or why don't you just say this? Or why don't you go ahead and do that? When the old self is trying to give you suggestions, you say, no, I'm dead to sin. And I'm alive to God. You have no power to dominate me. Because if you don't, it will. It will be happy to take over as we're going to read here in just a couple minutes. So this middle voice, make this a matter of practice for your own good. For your good. Is it good for God? Yeah, it's good for God that when you walk a life of righteousness. It's good for us when you walk a life of righteousness. It's good for your family when you walk a life of righteousness. It's good for your neighbors. It's good for strangers when you walk a life of righteousness. But it's mostly good for you because this is how you gain power and dominance in your life. All right? So, he says this is something we should do. I put a number of little points down here. They should take into account the fact that they are dead to sin. That they have been disengaged from the evil nature of the self, old self. That it, the old self, has no power over them any longer. That they are free from its dominion. And that they can say no. I know, just say no. They can say no to the flesh, no to the old self. No, I am not going to talk that way. I am not going to think that way. I am not going to pursue that thing. I am not going to allow that to take over. I am not going to give up on this one thing. Right. So you can take dominion in your life. Why? Because you consider all these things. But they're also taking into account that you're alive to God. Amen. Write that down. I don't know. I hope I get to heaven. You are alive to God. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ, you're already raised to be with him and you're seated with him in heavenly places. Amen. It don't get no better than that. Sorry, bad English, but there it is. So not, don't just consider the dead part. Consider the living part. You're alive to God. You're ever before his face. You're seated in heavenly places. You are alive in the presence of the Lord. The divine nature has been imparted to you. Second Peter says we are partakers of the divine na nature through these wonderful promises that God has given us. That we can be partakers. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, we can't. Don't you say that we can partake of the divine nature. You, what kind of person do you think you are? Saved? Yes. Alive in God? Amen. A partaker of the divine nature. Amen. How do I know that? Jesus, this I know for the... Bible tells me so, yeah. So I have the divine nature because the Bible tells me so. 
And finally, that the result of, of all of this gives us a desire and the power to order our lives according to the word of God. I am free. I am free. Get this. I am free to follow the word of God. Don't have to. I'm free to. I have the power. Well, I don't know what the Bible says, but I have the power to do this. I mean, the Bible gives us some, some really tough things that we're supposed to do. Yes, and I've got the power to do it. How do I know that? Because I'm alive into God, and I dominate. I'm in power. So, oh, no, God's in power. Not here. He did this for me, but who's in power? You are. Let me show you. Next verse. Because of that, because of all of that, because of the spiritual truth in verses 1 through 11, because of all of that, here's the practical truth. Let sin, therefore, not reign in your mortal bodies. And I changed the order of the words, but that's the way it reads. Let sin, therefore, not reign in your mortal body. Let it not reign. Don't let sin reign. Now, this is not written to unbelievers. This is written to believers. Don't let sin, what? Reign. Reign. Dominate. Rule. Sit on the throne. That's the Greek word. To rule from the throne. That's what the word means. Don't let sin rule from the... How to get to the how to get to the throne? You what? You let it. Because if you don't oppose it, it will. It doesn't have life. It doesn't have power. No, it doesn't have power to dominate you. But if you give it power, it's just like that dead body in the grave. Sorry, ugly, but that dead body can't move unless you pick it up and move it. Okay, yuck. But so, the only way that the dead body can move is you give it animation. And so it is, those little marionettes, you know, with the strings. I've never understood how they make those things move. But the marionettes with the strings, they're just pieces of wood. And they only move when you move them. So it is with the old self. It can't move unless you let it. But here's the thing. If you're not ruling... If you're not ruling, it will. And you say, well, this, is, this sounds like a fight that's going to go on through all my life. Yep, pretty much so. So, so he starts off this phrase, therefore, which means because of what's been realized in that spiritual realm, here's what I need you to do. Now, I have a translation uh, that I picked up from one of my commentaries that said it this way. Don't be discouraged and don't be despairing. Sin will not have any power over you. Why? Because you are no, we are no longer under law but under grace. So sin won't have power over you unless you give it. All right. So God gave this grace to show us that we have power in our life. This grace shows us what God has done, 
not what we had to do. See, the law said you have to do this in order to get this. Grace says I have done this so you can do this. Isn't that beautiful? God says I have done this so you can have this. And that's the grace of God. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. I know we'll get there one of these days. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. For God has done, I just love this verse, what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God has done, not you have done. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh or because of the flesh, could not do. The law could tell you, but it couldn't change the flesh. And so that's how it was, in a sense, weakened by the flesh. The law was weakened by the flesh because the law had to use the flesh to follow the law, but the flesh couldn't, so therefore you couldn't follow the law. By sending his own son in the likeness of sin, he wasn't sinful flesh, he was the likeness, oh, there's so much in this, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus died as our substitute. He became like us in our death so that he could remove sin. He, and in that, he condemned sin in the flesh. Why? Because he died physically. He didn't just die spiritually. He died physically. And so all of that, Hebrews, as we read before, says he tasted death for all of us. Verse 4, in order that, why did he do this? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, just because you got born again, just because you've been made alive in Christ, doesn't mean that you're going to walk in righteousness. You have to what? You have to do it. But you're able now. Before you couldn't. Now you can. To those who walk according to the spirit, not the flesh. Man, there's a lot in there. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says it this way. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God in you. That doesn't, he doesn't just give you the ability to do it. He gives you the ability to want to do it. The will to. And the ability or the work to his good pleasure. So... What does he say? <clears throat> Therefore, let not sin reign. Let's talk about this word reign for just a minute. Basileo. Basileo means to exercise kingly power, to rule from a throne. And the verb in its tense means it's forbidding a continuance of an action already going on. In other words, Paul is saying, stop. Allowing sin to sit on the throne of your life. Why? Because you're dead to it. It doesn't have power, but you've given it power by giving it a throne. And so don't 
give sin the throne. Don't give it power. Its power has been removed. It's been rendered useless until you put it back on the throne. And he's going to talk about how we do that. The sinful nature has been dethroned. So don't let it reign. It doesn't have a right to rule you. The believer has a responsibility of keeping sin or the old self from the throne of your life. A place that only Jesus Christ should occupy. He should be at the throne. So stop yielding to sin on the throne and yield to Christ. Now, weaponized. What? Why? I like that word. As I was going through my notes, it just seemed like a great introduction to this next part. Weaponized. What are we weaponized for? Listen. Paul moves on in verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. You see those two words, instrument, instruments, the Greek word, which has to do with weapons of war. That's, that's what the Greek word is. And so it has to do with weapons of war. I cut this little, this little kind of poem here from one of my commentaries. It says, do this and live, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. So there's something that God gives because we weren't able to do something for ourselves. But, but stop letting that old self bring itself back. So the important words here are present or yield your members as instruments. So what, are these, what do these words mean? Present or yield yourself. In the Greek language, the word present First, present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not present as unrighteousness, but present as ministers as instruments of righteousness. So there's two different goals here. Either we're going to present ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness, or we're going to present ourselves as instruments of righteousness. There's no middle road. There's no third choice. Well, I'm just kind of in the middle here. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of walking the, the middle ground. You know, I don't, don't want to go in the ditch on that side. I don't want to go in the ditch on that side. So, you know, no, there is no middle ground. Either you are yielding yourself and your members as instruments of unrighteousness, or you're yielding yourself and your members to God for righteousness. This is not about unbelievers. This is all about believers. So, are you, Jeff, are you saying that believers, Christians, saints, can yield their members, their body, 
as weapons of unrighteousness? Um, yes. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much exactly what I'm saying. Or we can yield ourselves as weapons for God's righteousness. Wow. So, which way do we want to go? The first thing he says is do not present yourselves. Do not present. The word present has to do with offering yourself as a servant offers himself to a master. Sometimes it's translated to yield, and it's used quite often in Paul's writing. It means to put yourself present or near something. Put yourself at one's, someone else's disposal, what they want you to do. Or the perfect picture, a servant who stands before his master and says, here I am, use me. And so that's what Paul is saying. And again, when he says do not, guess what? Guess what? <laughs> this is the word, you're going to hate it, but it, there it is. Stop allowing it. Because you are. That's what it means. Stop allowing it because you are. Stop allowing what you are doing now. Stop allowing yourself to be used as an instrument of unrighteousness. On the other side, do this. But the verb for do is different. The verb for do means make this decision now. I am going to offer myself as an instrument for God's righteousness. I'm going to be a weapon of God's righteousness in this earth. That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to let him sit on the throne. And I'm going to offer myself as an instrument or as a weapon for him to use for righteousness in this life, in this earth. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make that decision. And so the verb tense means do this, do it now. Make this decision. So the idea of this has to do with making a decision. Now the word members has to do with the body. Paul uses different words for the body, different words for the soul, different words for the flesh. Uh, but here he's using this word for the body because what he's talking about is, listen, people can't see what the old self does. That's the spiritual truth. But they can see what he does through your hands. They can hear what he does through your mouth. Right? So... It is the old self using your what? Your members. He uses your body to commit sin. The old self cannot commit sin itself. I mean, it's separated from God, and it is, you know, <laughs> dead in sin. But it has to use you in order to work unrighteousness. Your words, your passions, your will. God says, do this. I don't want to. And it's, our will is greatly involved. Our, our emotions, our thoughts, our desires, all these things, our actions, of course. But all of this, he says, don't let it use your members as an instrument of unrighteousness. What you're supposed to do is present your body as an instrument for God's righteousness. Why? 
because the whole question comes down to dominion. Do not let it reign. Reign has to do again with who's on the throne. Who should be on the throne of your life? Jesus Christ and his word, right? So through his word. How do I know what Jesus wants? Read your Bible, right? You say, well, I don't know what the will of God is. Read your Bible. So there are things in here, but there's chapters in the Bible I don't like to read. Well, there's some things in there that you need to know. So read them. But for the question is, verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Listen, listen. Since you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin will not have dominion. It doesn't say, and I'm going, to, I'm going to enforce this, it does not say sin cannot have dominion. It does not say sin does not have dominion. Yet that's the way a lot of people interpret. Sin has no dominion over me. No, it says it will have no dominion if what? If you are putting God on that throne instead of your old self. Because if you are not ruling over the old self, then it will try to put itself on that throne. So unless you are putting Christ there, you will not be able to do this. Now, it's a conditional verb. Let That sin has no dominion. Again, this comes from that same Greek word for who rules on the throne. Same word for reign. Who has lordship? But the verb is conditional. So, sin will have no dominion. If you do not, listen, if you do not present your members as weapons against the old self, but present yourselves as weapons for God's righteousness, then sin will have no rule over you. So if you're not presenting yourself as a weapon for the devil's use, sin's use, the old self's use, if you're not presenting yourself for that, but instead are presenting yourself to God, sin can have no dominion over you. But if you're not doing the last part, it can. Why? Because you're not under law. What does that mean? Under the law, under the law, you could not stop. Again, back to our little Latin lesson. You were not able to not sin. But the law just pointed it out. And the law pointed out what you weren't able to do and pointed out how wrong you were and pointed out this and pointed out that. But it didn't give you any ability. It just told you you were wrong. Grace, on the other hand, has given you power. Through Christ, you have received power to use your life as a weapon of righteousness. A weapon against sin. Please, I'm not saying use your life as a weapon against people. Don't use your life as a weapon against others. Don't use your life as a weapon against this person or that person. Use your life as a weapon for righteousness. 
When one of the times we were in Israel, and it just it grieved me beyond measure. I had, the things I had seen, things I had heard, seeing the relationship of the soldiers and Palestinians, and many of the Palestinians were Christians, but they were being horribly abused by the Israeli soldiers. And I know you don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. Yeah. And it was ugly, and it was offensive. And a lot of times people say, well, peace at any cost. But it just grieved my heart. Peace at any cost. No. How about this? Righteousness at any cost. Let's do what's right. Let's do what's right. Even for people that we say, well, they're, but they're wrong. We have a lot of people that are enemies of the cross. Are we going to despise them? Or are we going to despise the sin and love people? So we are called to be instruments, weapons of God's righteousness, not his judgment. I'm not called to be an instrument of his justice. I'm not called to be an instrument of his power. I'm called to be an instrument, a weapon for his righteousness. But it won't happen if I don't rule over the old self because the old self will try to gain its power and that's where Paul's going to lead us as he continues down through chapter 6 which we should be able to finish chapter 6 next week and then his illustration and his inner argument in chapter 7 until he finally reaches chapter 8 where he tells us the secret to this. You say, but how do I do this? How do I do this? I know that you've been asking that all along. How do I do this? Chapter 8. But we're not there yet. All right. That's it. So, Father, we just thank you.